0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
1: Episode 47, Comprehension is Key, with Sarah Kubrick. You're listening to The Race for the Ring, a podcast about dating in the digital decade. I am your host, Mindy Barnett. I'm a PR queen, a published inspirational author, motivational speaker, mom, and dating diva. Each week, I'll have a special guest dish dating dilemmas and delights with me, and together we'll maneuver how to play the game, not get played, and claim the most prized possession, self love. Ready, set, go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Race for the Ring. It is officially 2021, and we are still in the thick of it, but there is hope on the horizon, so I'm super excited about that. Hopefully, sooner than later, we will be out and dating in person, maybe still with masks on our face, but nevertheless, in person Um and eating in restaurants, hopefully indoors, and doing lots of fun things that we haven't been doing um, for a very, very long time. So as we do that, we will be communicating and looking at people's body language and all of the important tactics that go along with maintaining an um, effective and um, thriving relationship. And today's expert um, is Totally on point with everything I'm just saying. Her name is Sarah Kubrick. She's a millennial therapist, she's a writer, she's a life coach. And she specializes in helping those she services um, hone in on their identity, flourish their relationships or create their relationships to, um, you know, essentially be positioned to flourish. Um, And she also works with her clients in moral trauma. Her passion in therapy essentially stems from her personal experience of living through literally wars. And she'll share a little bit about that in our conversation, as well as working through some of her own complicated relationships. And she is um, essentially a self-proclaimed nomad. She's got a really cool travel history. And she knows um, a lot about understanding that misery looks very different, you know, amongst different people. So um, we have a very interesting and very fruitful conversation to bring to the table today for you. But before I do that, I just want to thank everyone again for rating and reviewing um, this amazing, not even in its year of existence podcast, The Race for the Ring is literally on every platform you can get a podcast on now. I'm not going to note them all, but some of the bigger ones, obviously Apple, which is where we started, iHeartRadio, I'm super proud about, and also Stitcher among some others that, um, you know, basically everywhere and anywhere, as well as Audible. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's all because of you that we um, have been picked up and brought into the family of other platforms, and it means so, so much to me. Um, today's reviewer is Tugba465. I think I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, my producer gave me a little pronouncer. It's Chuba. Sorry about that. Tugba. Chuba 465. 565. I'll sh- sh- take three. And this is not to be edited out because people should just know how silly I am when I'm just talking to myself. Chuba 456. Tuba says, I love listening to this podcast. It's one of my favorites and has taught me plenty when it comes to dating and relationships. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. That's what we are here for. And today you're going to know how to communicate more effectively in relationships, Tuba. Well, today Sarah and I chat a lot about comprehension, which is essentially the key ingredient in any relationship Usually people will say communication is key, but um, communication doesn't hold a candle to anything if you don't have the power of having the comprehension along with it. So I am beyond excited to share our guest today, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. What time is it over there down under?
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It is 8.09 a.m.,
1: Oh my gosh, it's like tomorrow. It's tomorrow, I'm living in the future. <laughs> uh, and how was yesterday for you? Yesterday for me is like, I'm living in hell right now. That's okay. It's all good. I don't that's, want to complain.
0: That's me yesterday, too. to be quite frank. It was a very stressful day. I'm glad it's today. I'm glad it's today. <laughs> yeah.
1: I wish it was today for me as well. Hopefully today will be better than yesterday. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Such a funny combo. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about how you became Sarah Kubrick and all you do and what makes a millennium ther- millennial therapist as well as a type of therapist you are and all this good stuff. I did a little research on you and it's interesting. I, I think you would have probably been helpful um, in my marriage if I knew you back then. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Go ahead here?
0: Sure. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people know me as the millennial therapist, which is kind of funny. It's just my handle on Instagram. Uh, most people, I'm trying to get my actual name out there to be like, no, my name is Sarah. <laughs> this is who I am. No. Um, so Instagram was just kind of a accident. I, you know, did an undergrad in psychology, did a master's in psychology. I did a special training and existential analysis. Now I'm doing my PhD and I started my own clinic. And then I went, how do you recruit someone for an online clinic? So I went online even pre-COVID just because I travel so much uh, for research and just for fun. So I'm a nomad. And um, Instagram was a great way to build a community, connect with people. Um, This was before Instagram was cool for therapists. I think I just came at the very start of it. And I was like, no one's going to read this. Like, no one is going to read a post on Instagram. That's just words. Um, And so I was like, just try it. And I tried it. I was like, I'm gonna give myself six months. And then it evolved into what it is today. Um, So my life really changed. And Partially because of Instagram, as ridiculous as that is to sometimes say, I'm really, really yeah. grateful. Yeah, for my community and for the social media. And um, yeah, I don't know if you have any specific questions, but I'm an existential psychotherapist, which is, I think, quite a niche. Um, I don't think it's super common. Um, I specialize in identity, relationships, and trauma. That's it.
1: That's awesome. That That's really cool. So what made you, let's just talk a little bit about your nomadic, um, I guess like interest. So where are some of the different places that you've lived and are you going to these different locations, um, in search of just enriching your, I guess your experiences to bring that to the, I guess the, the sessions that you have with your patients and, um, online now, et cetera, or is it because you have an interest in traveling or is it sort of a combination of both? Yeah,
0: great question. So I've lived in North Africa. I've lived in the Middle East, um, in Jordan, actually, for two years before COVID hit. I've lived in Europe. I've lived in Australia. Um, so those are kind of the places. The one place I haven't had a chance to travel to much is Asia, which I was going to do, but 2020. So that didn't happen. Um, I think it was a mix. I got out of a bad relationship, and I just needed to get away initially. So I went to Europe. Um, it was one of the first time. This is where I traveled for such an extended period of time. And I absolutely loved it. I am very curious about different cultures. Um, Mm -hmm. I love not knowing anybody. I love exploring. I like being lost, that sense of just wonderment. And so I think that really appealed to me. And then absolutely for my work, I feel like in my graduate studies, we always emphasize multicultural um, studies as in understanding different cultures as a way to be able to resonate and provide adequate help. And obviously, I cannot still do that. I mean, there's still limitations to me understanding different cultures, but this helps a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's really, really important for me whenever I see clients, either in my psychotherapeutic work or my life coaching um, from different continents or different countries, I will only do it generally if i feel like i have adequate enough understanding or i've lived in that culture for at least a brief amount of time where i can have some context
1: that makes sense and that's responsible and obviously i'm sure you're bringing in a whole other you know side to the spectrum that you otherwise wouldn't be able to have without having that you know try that's awesome you're able to do all of that i really admire that Yeah, that's cool. Um, And you're from Canada originally. That's where your family is still based, I'm guessing, or no.
0: (laughs) So I was actually born in Bosnia, lived in Serbia. Oh, Oh. because I was born in Bosnia, the war happened, moved to Serbia, the war happened, immigrated to Canada. um, And then one by one, my family immigrated to Australia. So I actually came to visit my family in Australia, COVID hit, and then I stayed.
1: Oh well, that, at least you're with your family. Exactly, or near your family. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: that's. But a- yes, I'm still based in Vancouver technically. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. So back to the war the war zone, Um, because I saw in your bio that um, that's a lot about what you bring to the table, having lived through that, having your own life traumas, having the, as you call it, a bad relationship. um, And then you're implementing all of those life experiences to other people's situations and giving them like a, a fresh point of view and some like insight as well as like a platform to move on from. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's more the resonance piece of like, I've been there, and I've had to do the work of trying to get out of there. It's not so much imposing my own experiences on others. Sometimes my experiences can be helpful. Sometimes they're not. It's a lot of just saying, hey, I've been through things. I know what it's like to be lost. I know what it's like to be the client, not just the therapist. And I, and I think that that's valuable.
1: Yeah, because they you have a, a strong footing of where they're coming from, I guess, and their perspective. Um, so back to the relationship um, side of the coin, where our show today is about the essentially like the importance of comprehending. Um, you know conversations and, and i guess dialogue if you will when you're speaking with your your partners mm-hmm. your boyfriend your girlfriend like your spouses whatever it may be in um in your relationship status of the race for the ring if you will um Not the title. The word, self-love right we're all looking okay. for gems but <laughs> the whole thing is about like obviously owning yourself and believing in who you are etc um so when it comes to to that do you find that to be one of the pinnacles of some of the things that you are dealing with on a day-to-day with some of your couple clients, if you will, Um, them not necessarily hearing one another or understanding what the other's issues are and like hearing them out with empathy? Absolutely.
0: I think miscommunication or the lack of comprehension comes out all the time in in my sessions with clients. I don't see couples together, but I see people individually who are actively working on either finding that person or staying with that person or trying to repair um, a bond that's been broken. And I think communication is is so key. Comprehension is so key. And I, I think it's a skill that we lack as a society. I don't think we've ever been taught how to actively listen, how to actively empathize, how to actively understand and want to understand. And I think that also comes back to our skill of not maybe listening to ourselves as well, that lack of self understanding, that lack of self awareness, and so it's really hard to have that for someone else if we lack it with ourselves.
1: What do you, What are some of the tools you try to teach your your clients so that they are able to, I guess, have stronger um, powers in that space, if you will?
0: Yeah, a lot of um, communication tips. So, you know, discuss one issue at a time. Um, understand that there's a problem and that problem is separate from the person use eye language uh, try to reflect back what the person has said just to ensure that you actually understand their point take timeouts take deep breaths things like that very tangible skills that then they can go and try to implement practice because it's all about practice
1: yeah. I was going to say, I mean, how good are they at picking it up on the first time? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. It's easier said than <laughs> but in the heat of a moment of an argument or something like that. It's, it's hard. I mean, I remember when I was married, um, one of the therapists, my ex-husband and I went to, um, was one of these tips I researched, did a little research, um, in terms of some of the tips that, you know, uh, experts like yourself say are important to implement on a day to day. And one was basically. Um, To reiterate back to your partner what you think you're hearing them say. So if I were to say to you, Hey, Sarah, like I hate when you throw your laundry all over the house and you know, you never like listen to me. And when I come home from work, you don't want to hear what I have to say like that partner then like basically regurgitate it back to you so that you can say, no, that's not what I said. Or yeah, that, that is what I mean, but I meant it this way, not the way you're interpreting it like that, this and that. So can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of that and I remember like this woman that we saw, she was like, you're going to feel really silly doing it, but you really need to do it. And like sooner or later, it's going to become like a regular part of your day-to-day communication. And you may not even need to do it in time, but it's important to do. No, we weren't, we failed (laughs) to test. I think I was trying to do it like Mm -hmm. a little bit. He was like, no part of that. I think this is just not for him. So he's fine. I mean, whatever. But I think you need to be diligent and really patient with yourself because it is kind of annoying to do when you're angry at the person
0: it's annoying it can be incredibly triggering and it can feel incredibly ridiculous Yeah. (laughs) yeah it totally can but I think it's one of the most effective communication tools because someone is speaking to you and if they're speaking to you in that way of like oh my god you're such a slob there's shit everywhere I can't handle you chances are they're feeling triggered So you're trying to take a communication that feels like it's attacking you. So your own guard comes up, your own trigger comes up. And so most of the time there is a miscommunication that's happening because you have two triggers communicating with one another. The great thing Mm. about reflective listening is both people kind of pause and you go, okay, before I respond to you, because I don't want to react to you. I want to respect you. So before I respond to you, I just really want to understand what you're trying to communicate. Is it the fact that my socks are on the floor that I didn't flush the toilet? Or is it the fact that you've, you know, what is it? And most of the time it's the fact that they don't feel seen or appreciated or respected. Um, and you're not trying to psychoanalyze them. You're not trying to be like, I think it's my lack of respect for you. It's, it's just really trying to understand what their perspective is, where they're coming from. Then you take it through your own filter and sometimes we can skew it. And we can be like, oh, so you're actually upset about, and they go, no, let me clarify. And so it's that clarification that's really important for them because they can be like, oh shit, I'm really miscommunicating. And for you to go, oh, this is what they're actually trying to say. So both people have the opportunity to kind of set the record straight Mm -hmm. and to construct that narrative together in a way more productive way. So this is why the skill is so incredibly important.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's something that we all should be like really, I guess, better at and work toward. You know, it's funny when you were saying about the listening earlier and hearing and listening. Um, I was listening. <laughs> and I remember in journalism school, um, that was one of the the key things that our professors would, you know, teach us in, in college. And then you, you actively work on practicing that because you become a better reporter. If you don't I remember, like, earlier on, like, you'd have, like, questions sort of prepared or maybe you'd have them in your mind about what your follow-up questions were going to be. But then you're worrying so much about the next question, you're not listening to the response where you could have, like, an amazing follow-up question if you just put your questions to the side. So I, like, never really – and piece so up funny now even, like, um, people ask me um, – sometimes they do magazine interviews and things like that. Can you send me questions? I'm, like, I don't have any questions prepared in advance. never for my podcast. I never have made you a little research, reference some things, but I always like it to be an organic conversation because I feel like then you can ask like proper follow-ups and dive deeper. And sometimes the themes of shows have gone a completely different direction Mm -hmm. because whatever the guest was talking about seemed more compelling to me than what the theme of the show was supposed to even be about. So I think that, not that I'm this great listener, I'm just saying I think I might have a little bit more... In that department, just because of my time as a reporter. And so the moral really- of the story is everybody should become no, I'm just kidding.
0: Everybody <laughs> should become a journalist or a therapist. I think that's that's
1: the used to listen the whole day, right? I mean, that's yeah. literally what you do and chime in as needed, obviously, with insight and and in stuff like that. So um the couples that you're treating um, or speaking to, or any of the comments, I guess, that you're receiving on on you know the social media platform, Instagram, et cetera. What are the main things? I know it obviously will differ, but like, if you had a pinpoint, maybe say three main things that single people, couples, whatever it may be, what are, what are we struggling with today in this COVID climate? We're still in. Uh, Boundaries.
0: Mm. It's
1: huge. (laughs) Yeah. If you're living with a person, I guess. Right.
0: Yeah. So boundaries, um, understanding your own needs and then communicating those needs. Mm -hmm. Um, those are massive. And I, and then the third one, or the fourth one, depending how you want to divide this up, is just lack of um, understanding who we are. I think there's a bit of an epidemic of this lack of self-awareness, lack of identity happening with COVID especially. That was really um, enhanced. And it's really hard to be in a relationship with someone else when you don't know who you are, because then who's having this relationship with someone else? And so these are kind of the the three areas that I really see right now.
1: Why are people unsure of who they are because of COVID? Because maybe they lost their job or they're displaced? or Yeah,
0: displaced. A lot of people place a lot of their identity in their job. And if that's jeopardized in any way, that feels a bit of an existential crisis. I also think people have a lot more time on their hands. I think we distract ourselves often. um, And the question of identity doesn't surface. And then when you're sitting there and you're going, what's the point of life? Your whole worldview has been shifted a little bit by COVID. Your priorities are shifted or you're trapped with people like family members or partners or you're alone. I think it just allowed people more time to ask these difficult questions. And there's a bit of that air of anxiety in general. And so what I've noticed, a lot of my clients, a lot of my followers are all going a little bit into that existential crisis or that identity crisis at the moment.
1: Hmm. It's a shame. So if you um, have clients that are unsure of their identity and they're feeling lost, um, what are some of the things that you're doing to try to help get them out of that funk, so to speak?
0: Yeah, I think it's just basic tools of self-awareness a lot of the time. Journaling, reflection questions, checking in with themselves throughout the day, asking questions like, what am I feeling? What are my needs in this moment? What do I feel like I need to let go of? What did I really value today? Who are the people around me that support me? So really basic sounding questions, but a lot of repetition, a lot of intention behind those questions. Um I think a lot of people don't have time to sit there and go, what do I really value? What are my values in life? What are my beliefs in life? And all these things really shape who we become and who we are. Um, I'm also a really big proponent of suggesting that we create who we become. It's not just something we uncover or stumble upon. I don't think it's a passive process i think it's a really proactive process so empowering clients to realize that at any moment they can start creating the version of themselves that they want to be and what does that look like so that's a lot of the work that that we do um which is really really fascinating that's as much as right. i can summarize it sorry it's a very no, no, long I think process. It's okay.
1: so they're like really kind of taking this time to sort of self-reflect and maybe like change direction or change paths or you know making sure that like maybe they're the, the the motion they're in or the direction I should say that they're heading is in line with what their values are. Maybe their values of like five years ago are different than what their values are now. I know mine are sort of shifting before I'd say, I mean, someone probably argued still is, but I'm like, I like fashion. I'm like really into high end things. Like I, I don't mind working like seven days a week. 48 hours a day, you know, so that I can buy that Prada bag. Like you're the same, like I've always had that MO and I still do, mm-hmm. but I guess as I'm entering, you know, another decade and a couple of years and I'm a little older now, I also appreciate that time isn't always, always on our side. And I think that straight off, like I feel personally, I've, I've worked, my butt off and still continue to do so and always will. But I essentially worked my butt off like my entire adult career or life, I should say. Um, and I missed a lot. Like I didn't travel as much as I probably could have. I worked on vacations. I, you know, didn't take maternity leave when I had my kids, like not wow. even as like, literally a week, like, you wow. know, well, it's I'm also in my own business, but like, still, I mean, I really never, I don't know. And I was fine with all that. Cause I like, I bring closet full closet. <laughs> I have a house in New York, I based in New York and I'm a house. Like, you know, like, see, whatever. But, you know, I mean, I have work for everything. It's so nothing to just But I think, like, I just feel that – There's always know, a sacrifice. It's always nice to have your time because the time is obviously invaluable at the end of the day. And you, can, you can't buy that back. It doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account. So uh,
0: Of course. I, I mean, travel was a huge one for me. That's, like, probably the number one priority for a very long time was – my money and people are like how do you do it? It's like well, you own a car and a house. Like it's not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like there's just different priorities, of course. But mm-hmm.
1: I because think- you're traveling, so you have the expense, the ability to do that because you don't have these other things holding you down. Exactly. No, I'm actually envious of that. I think that's amazing that you're able to do. That. I would choose that route if I was able to. To be honest with you, yeah. I think cool. I really, really do. Thank you, you know. You can I always think- settle down another place. It's somewhere later on in life. You don't, you know, you're only going to have this opportunity once. I, uh, you know, so absolutely. And-,
0: and I think you just hit on something really important that most people don't understand: is your values will shift, meaning your identity will shift as well. Like when we think about identity, we think about this static entity that we develop in our what 20s and we're like oh now this is me and I think it's really unnerving for people when that shifts because they don't realize it's natural for it to shift I'm glad when I see that it shifts because when you're 20 I'm hoping you're going to be a slightly different version that grows evolves transitions when you Sorry, when you're 50. And so I think it's really natural for you to want different things at different times in your life and to express yourself differently, to perceive yourself differently.
1: Yeah. I mean, we hope that you have different values in your <laughs> some people don't, and I'm sure that's why a lot of us listening to the race for the ring are still single, but that's <laughs> how (laughs) how to make that little joke with a little truth to it but nevertheless no that's that's fantastic so um I guess, have you seen any issues with, like, I know, like, obviously, some of the key things with the communication and, and listening and all of the above pertain to the fact that you need to be present. And a lot of the rule of thumb is to put your phone away. Don't text when you're having a heated debate or conversation. Well, what would you advise to people who aren't necessarily face to face with their boyfriend, girlfriend, partner on on a day to day because of the situation we're in? Maybe they have relationships that are long distance and they can't see them as often or maybe they were not serious enough with them, you know, to quarantine with them. So now they're seeing each other here and there, if that if at all, like, would you recommend Zoom as a proper like kind of I mean, what would you how do you that's not exactly like face to face, even though you're. Are seeing the person, and it's a an odd question. It's I'm a great curious. question.
0: No, it's a really good one. I'm currently. I haven't seen my partner since March. So, like, wow, where's your partner? Very long time. He's
1: in, in, oh, wow. in Australia?
0: Oh wow, in
1: Australia.
0: Yeah, he's there for work, and so I left Jordan to come here and quarantine. Essentially, and spend time with my family. Um, and he didn't think he'd be stuck there, but that's just how he ended up being. Um, and what I would advise in general, and something that I found very effective, again, the quick texts are very reactive most of the time. I think what's really helpful is either having those faceTime calls, those Zoom calls where you're sitting down and really being intentional, or you're writing each other a longer message. Let's say that you you are encountering some struggles or there's a time zone difference or you can't see each other. Um, sometimes actually writing it almost like a letter. It's different. I think where we really get in trouble is those very reactive, fast, yeah. impulsive texts that that you're just looking what they're going to say so you can say your next thing. You're not actively trying to understand their point of view. You're not trying to embrace it. You're not trying to empathize. You're not open to the opportunity, like the possibility that you are wrong or that you're misunderstanding it. So just slowing down the pace, regardless if that's, you know, a FaceTime call or if that's like a letter that's a bit more intentional, a bit more in depth, could help. Is any of this the same as face-to-face? No. But can it be a pretty good compromise? I would think so.
1: Yeah. As you were saying, I was thinking of times where I've received texts and then I, not even from like. Boyfriends, just like friends, even. And they weren't even confrontational, but you missed so many messages in the text because you, I feel like the way you're reading it on a phone is so different. And like, you know, they could text, like it could be up higher up on the message and you miss it, or it could be too, it's just, I don't know, I miss, sometimes I reread them when I have a second and I'm like, oh, I didn't really, she asked me that, or, you know, and I'll reply back to them like, Five hours later,
0: and you might you might have to add more emotion. Like you have to depict to them what you're feeling. We lose so much when we don't see body language.
1: Yeah. Also, the,
0: the scattering that you were talking about. Of course, you're like, oh, so five messages before she he said they said whatever. It's like, oh shit. But if you were to write one longer thing, including like you know, I'm feeling this as I write it, and. This is what's invoked in me. And I remember learning to do email therapy, which I've never actually done, but I was really fascinated. So I did a course on it, where in like parentheses, you write your body language, you write your thoughts, you write your emotions. So the person knows with what tone
1: you're actually expressing a sentence. Uh, Because so many emails can be so misconstrued. I mean, that's a lot of work. I don't think I personally do that, but it does. So much work. But it makes. Yeah. I'm smiling as I say this.
0: That, no, but seriously, and I like no, being like That's this is so like
1: it so rude, Mindy. Uh, uh, I was like, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it was like a nice email. Like, I'm like, no, and I read it back. I'm like, well, I guess it does sound mean, but I didn't mean it mean. It's like just being, Hey, you know, what's up? Um, no, that's, that's, that's interesting. All right. We're wrapping up because we're out of time, but, um, really quickly, um, I try to stick to 30 minutes. of Bobby, I love that. Yeah. Um, so if, so since you're the millennial therapist, like what are they, the key things millennials are combating in, in like relationships If there, are they any different than say me? Who's like not a millennial.
0: <laughs> you know what, actually my, everything I've told you was probably from a millennial lens because I primarily see millennials. Um, while my friends, I am a millennial. Um, and so I think that lack of knowing what boundaries are is, is, is,
1: it's so common. <laughs> Most people well, have, like, what do, they do. They like interrupt, like, like me. I just interrupted you, or they, <laughs> they, um, they just kind of. What? Why are you going there? Who are you with? Like stuff like that.
0: It's either that, or they have no boundaries to protect themselves. So they'll do um, things. They're people pleasing. They're t- t- like a, um, being caregivers. They have codependent tendencies. They don't actually go, no, this is not what I need. No, I'm not going to engage this way. Actually, they're really loving, loyal individuals that just don't have adequate boundaries to actually protect themselves, um, yeah. or to uh, to build a relationship that would nurture them rather than just take from them. Um, and then also lack of boundaries of being a bit possessive, being a bit controlling, just like you listed, you know, who are you texting? I want your passwords to your emails, whatever it might be. Um, um, yeah.
1: So it's just You're boundaries on both ways. They're like kind of not trusting, and they're also extremely guarded on uh, in terms of, and so they're over, over guarded, mm-hmm. exactly. And so
0: you see a lot of that. And you know, it makes sense. No one's taught us about boundaries.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or communication. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Well, we're lucky to have you in that way. So, if people want to find you, Sarah, how can they find you? Yeah, and yeah. Um, and if they are interested in in tapping into your expertise. Can you share that too?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find me under Millennial Therapist on Instagram or Sarah Kubrick. Um, I am on Facebook. I don't use it as much. So I would say Instagram is my go-to or my website, which is just my name, Sarah Kubrick. Um, And I am currently working on some fun projects. I'm also offering a life coaching, a global life coaching uh, service coming soon. Wow, that was a weird sentence. But I will be launching a life coaching global service soon because right now I just offer psychotherapy um I will be actually doing some courses on boundaries that will be coming out in a month or two so it's an online course that you can take at your own time if you're in a relationship or want to enter a relationship um it could be really helpful so that's kind of the projects I'm working on right now
1: that's awesome well we're gonna have you back I'd like to do another show on boundaries I think that's interesting maybe around the time that you launch that course and you can dive into some of the lessons that you teach a little bit if you'd be interested of course that'd be super fun Ray no the race for the ring producer send her a shoot shooter an email when that's ready and then we'll get we'll get you back on to talk about that because that does sound interesting and that's also something me personally I'm sure like many of the listeners can benefit from to say the least because I don't I'm not good at setting boundaries at all like basically what you were describing with overpleasing and never like, that's one hundred and fifty percent me so anyway yeah. trying with that I just feel like I want to take care of everybody so
0: <laughs> that's so sweet it's so well intended but it just ends up hurting you no
1: yeah. I know you have to take care of yourself too I mean exactly you're remember, so yeah all right well thank you for having us when are you gonna see your boyfriend again do you know no idea uh he applied that's for a
0: visa awful. yeah <laughs> Very sad,
1: Australia. I know they can't. They're not letting people in. But if you leave, you just can't come back, or they they won't let you go.
0: I have to get a visa, an exemption to leave. But um, I also actually got my residency here. Uh, I'm a resident, so I have to abide by their rules. Because now uh, I, yeah. So it's actually quite difficult for me to leave as well. Yeah, that's all it is. Yes, but luckily we've been together for a long time, and
1: so. Um, this, this is okay. Imagine if
0: it was a fresh relationship, right? Like that would really oh, suck.
1: Hard. What's the time difference between Australia oh, and Oh, it's absolutely terrible. I think we only overlap like five wake hours
0: usually. Um, oh my God. So, yeah. All right,
1: everybody. If- <laughs> Sarah and her boyfriend can do it. You can too. Yeah. I don't want to hear any more Zoom problems from anybody listening <laughs> to this show. Oh, oh, my gosh. What a nightmare. Well, hopefully you'll be together soon. Thank hopefully you we'll so much. And everything, like, things will start getting back to normal. We can always pray. Exactly. All right. Thank, well, thank you so much for having us. me. for to have on.